0: Loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma.
1: It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals.
0: Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. Pete Wright and I'm Andy Nelson welcome to the next reel when the movie ends our conversation begins the lure is over the city will tell us what we lack a local the my children, my to use local nocny zapojamie wysoko alkoholowymi i tańczy w świetu są dzieci mojej dobrej znajomy
1: będą robiły u nas chórki i striptezy musicie tylko dobrze bawić reszta pójdź sama no
0: Dobry wieczór bardzo szanownemu państwu Przed państwem córki dancingu Dwóch szereń. Chciałam pokazać się z najlepszej strony Zmienić, coś zmienić Zwrócić uwagę, zwróciłam wszystko Szum, szum, szum samochodów i ulic Za grób głowę zostajemy, nie ma. this was your first time with this movie
1: yes my first time with the the mermaid sisters
0: (laughs) okay i'm very excited to see what you think about this movie is bonkers this is bonkers uh and i'm trying to remember when did we talk it was a trailer pick it was a trailer pick by me uh, on 2017, uh, January 19th, 2017. Uh, oh, the, wow. yes. And I don't know if you remember, but I was pretty excited about this movie. I don't, I, I think I had yet discovered my, uh, you know, deep love, as you know, I love horror movies now. Um, I had yet to discover that in myself, but this movie for some reason really intrigued me. And that, then I watched it. And now I've watched it twice and I want to know, Andy, what do you think I think of this movie?
1: <laughs> um, it's way too I, easy. Low hanging I, fruit. I, I, is it like, I don't know. I feel I, I was thinking about this and I'm like, I don't know where he is going to land with this movie because it is kind of a bonkers movie. It's I'm, I really struggle with calling it a horror film. I, I think that there are some horrific elements in it, certainly. But when it comes to the genre mashup, I think that the, the musical aspect kind of washes over the, the horror and it just becomes a little bit more of kind of a, a, a dark fantasy story, I guess, kind of a dark fairy tale. I guess I'm just going to say, I think you like it. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I really don't know. Like, I just, I walked, uh, when I finished this, I just said, I have no clue where Pete is going to fall with this one. Really? Because it's, well, it's such a bonkers movie. I can see people going many different ways. Yeah. From this one.
0: I think you're a bit meh on the movie. I think that ultimately you've landed. but I think what you just described is a complete projection. And I think you just described it for yourself. I think you had trouble with the genre mashup, and that you, um, you you feel like it was trying to do too many things. And as a result, it didn't successfully do any of them.
1: Well, I guess we'll find out here in a little bit. Ooh,
0: I can't um, wait.
1: But you'll have to wait. For now, uh, the movie was not rated when it was released here in the States, but it is full of sex and nudity. It has some moderate violence, moderate alcohol and drugs, moderate frightening and intense scenes. Oh, and did I mention the nudity part? Because there's a lot of it. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, a lot of, lot of nudity. But a lot you know these, what? These Don't worry roommates. about it.
0: Because by the yeah. end, you're not even going to notice anymore.
1: There's so much nudity.
0: <laughs> it's like a, just
1: a nudity film. <laughs> it's Just a nudist camp type of movie. There you go. All right.
0: It's time for our questionnaire. You know what? It was time for our questionnaire when we started this, and now we're almost finished with it. So if you haven't had a chance to uh, head over to truestory.fm slash thenextreel and check out the annual questionnaire, uh, please do. It helps us learn a little bit more about you, your listening habits, what you like, don't like about the show. It helps us kind of refine what we're doing and hopefully make it better. Uh, to top it off, one lucky listener who fills out the questionnaire will get a free year of membership. Uh, in our uh, supporting member program. They'll get access to all those fancy benefits just by filling out a little questionnaire. And it's almost over. Almost over.
1: Promise. So close. So close to being over. And then we'll stop talking about it for another five-ish years. I'm sure we'll Um, find
0: something else to talk (laughs) about, though.
1: (laughs) We'll fill this spot with more air. Uh, We are going to uh, feature audio reviews. We want to start including little bits, little snippets from our listeners as to what you think of the movies that we are talking about on this show please uh, send us your clip. we want to hear your thoughts yeah just send it over about a you know 30 second-ish audio file to reviews at truestory.fm watch the film record your little review, and send it over to us. We just might showcase it on the show. Remember, to get it in quick, though, we record about two weeks early. The earlier, the better, and it's more likely to end up in the show. To that end, our watch list.
0: If you don't know what we're watching in two weeks, you can just head over to our HQ profile over on Letterboxd. You can get there really quickly. Uh, just letterboxd.com slash The Next Reel. Uh, If you want to get a discount on your own pro or patron membership over at Letterboxd, you can use the discount code NEXTREEL or just visit thenextreel.com
1: slash letterboxd and you'll get that 20% off. This works for renewals as well. We just keep coming up with more stuff for merch. I know we're already, you know, stewing over all the different ideas we can do for our uh, horror debuts series. We have something up there for every movie from our last series, the 80s comedy with Coolidge and Heckerling. We already have something up for Messiah of Evil. And we already have and something Relic. up for Relic, which hasn't even, <laughs> our episode hasn't even released yet. Or actually, by the time this drops, it probably will have. But, I mean, everything's, you know, getting in there. Um, so, we're having a great time putting stuff together. Check it out at truestory.fm slash merch. You can get shirts, stickers, mugs, face masks, pillows. The list is kind of endless. So, head over to truestory.fm slash merch. And finally, I uh,
0: want to watch this movie and help us out at the same time. If you see an Apple or Amazon link, it's an affiliate link in our show notes. And if you click on it, it'll take you to those sites where you can rent the movie, buy the movie, watch the movie. Uh, but just know when you do that, we get a little
1: taste off the top from those companies. Win-win. Thanks, everybody. Hey, we need your support. We don't sell your information. We don't want to you know, turn into one of those shows that has... All of those connections that are r- digging deep into your uh, the web of all of your information that you have uh, permeating online. We just want to do this in as clean way as possible. And so to do that, we need your support. But so please become a member and support this show. Members get all sorts of fun stuff. Uh,
0: there's lots of voting. There's a lot of voting. Speaking of, uh, we just crested our 200th episode of the Saturday matinee as you listen to this. Oh, 200 episodes. Feels like we just started, Andy. Just started that show. Uh, and and I, we haven't actually, as I'm recording this, we haven't recorded that show. But I'm going to tell tell you in the past, it, for the future, that uh, I, I'm pretty excited about my game. Related to Ooh. things that exist over the number 200. Pretty excited about it uh it, it, you can vote on our saturday matinee polls to choose the list topic based on the movie that we're talking about this week for example if you were already a member you could have voted on the list topic for the lure already
1: uh, pete i'm going to test you real quick oh uh okay what uh the longest living mammal can live up to 200 years do you know what that animal is is it some sort of a whale it is it is a bowhead whale. A bowhead it's the whale. bowhead whale. All yeah. right. The All record right. age for a bowhead whale, 211 years.
0: Can you imagine seeing 211 years of ocean? What a horror show
1: that would be. Yeah. Well, it's only been getting worse. So. Like, right.
0: Like a bowhead whale <laughs> say, says something like, I remember the days when, and you're like crying. <laughs>
1: That is so true. So true. Uh, But aside from conversations about things that are over 200 members also (laughs) get access to all sorts of other episodes. Um, In fact, if you're tuning in as a non member, you're likely going to start getting some uh, member episodes dropping into your feet just to get a sense as to what members get because the relic episode, which is members only is going to be dropping into the feed. We're going to drop one of our uh, flick chart re-ranking episodes in. So you can hear what that episode's all about. Maybe our retake episode, just, you know, we, these are things that members get and uh, you know, we're going to give you some uh, experience with those and you know, Maybe whet your appetite a little.
0: Members also get to vote on what we'll be talking about in all those member bonus episodes. Did you say that already? No, I didn't. Well, they do. They do. They they do get to vote on that, which is really fun. And it gives us a nice uh, influx of member ideas when, you know, when our ideas get crusty, it's nice to have somebody (laughs) jump in and say, hey,
1: guys, do this. Uh, So that's uh, very exciting. Definitely helps. And members can also watch the live streams as we record the shows. And then, of course, they can jump back into the live streams really anytime they want to any of our previous shows. They also get access to
0: our super secret uh, members-only channels in our Discord Next Real server.
1: And now members get stickers. That's right. Just, you know, every so often, just kind of as a random little surprise and a way to say thank you, members get a few stickers from our merch store. Another way to say thank you for all of your support.
0: And best of all, you don't have to listen to this ever again. Become a member. You'll get a very custom version of this show
1: without us talking about it.
0: Uh, in your very own bespoke members' feed
1: of all the next real shows, at the TrueStory.fm/TNR membership, you can learn more about the different tiers. The most it'll cost you is five dollars per month or fifty-five dollars per year.
0: Meet Zinnia. You
1: are being very polite to someone who is attempting to kill us. Her wife, Saffron. You can plan all you want, but what matters is what you do when your plan falls apart.
0: And their best friend, Goldie.
1: Glad we didn't miss all the fun.
0: Swords in hand, they defend their city from the worst of humanity. I am Lord Buxton Blue. Vicious soir. The Fraconian rake, Herr Hagen. Equity electric. Follow their adventures on the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society audio drama podcast, available now at TrueStory.fm/swashbuckling. All right, Andy, let's do the big reveal. First of all, did you like this movie, or was I right on the money?
1: I liked this movie.
0: You, you did you were
1: exactly right on the money. Yeah. <sighs> okay. As far as the the genre mashup. I struggle. I, I don't know. I struggle with idea of doing a, a horror musical because I feel like when you throw musical into the mix, it pulls some of that horror element out. It feels like it dissipates the scares. And, and so that's why I feel like, you know, if you're going to call it, oh, you know, something scary, I feel like kind of a dark fairy tale works better. Um, in my eyes, kind of a dark musical fairy tale is where we landed with this. And I'm okay with that. And I really enjoyed the way that they did that. And so, yeah, I ended up having a lot of fun with it. I'm in, really enjoying the way that we're watching these horror films right now That um, are where the filmmakers are finding ways to use horror as a metaphor and to kind of craft these stories. So, uh, yeah, all in all, I, I enjoyed this one.
0: I did, too. I found this movie super rewarding, and I, I struggle a little bit with some of the critical commentary on the film because I'm I'm right with you. I don't think it's a horror movie. I think there are some... Gruesome elements, but they're quick, largely, and uh, there are some difficult elements. But again, they they sort of keep the movie m- moving uh, through, you know, this this dark fantasy. It is so bonkers; it's like a recipe of something that you would never never think to make uh, on your own, like in your own kitchen. But seeing somebody else make it, it's I, I found it a lot of. Strangely fun. I found it a lot of fun. Um, the, the problems that I have with it, and, and I was really struggling with this, that the, the problems that I have with it are not structural problems in, in the movie. I, I don't have a problem with a lot, of the, uh, a, a lot of the things that other people are really critical about of the narrative. I don't think there's anything personally wrong with the narrative. The things I have problems with are taste. Things right, they're things that I don't have a taste for, and it's really hard for me to, you know, to be critical for a movie about just something that I I just I don't choose to listen to this kind of music. For example, like I've been listening to the soundtrack uh, for the last couple of days, and it it's not my taste. Like I'd rather listen to other things, but it's not bad. It's just not for me. So you know, I think the the music in the context of the movie is great, but it's it's not something that has me tapping my toes along later so th- things like that we can get into
1: more of that but yeah we'll get into that because uh, i i you know i have my own issues with the music um i think sometimes it works better than others but we'll, we'll we'll get that yeah we'll get that yeah to that end with our conversation about the babadook with our conversation about relic i feel like there is this interesting trend right now about using horror films to kind of craft these metaphors and i guess you know, for a long time, if you look at horror films, I mean, it always has been maybe not always quite so metaphorical, but certainly an element designed to tap into some of our greatest fears. And to that end, I guess there is a little bit of metaphor in a lot of horror, right? Like the idea of the unknown and learning to confront these sorts of things that, you know, are the dark corners of our our lives. And I think that's an interesting element that has become really obvious in, in these last few films that I I really enjoy it because they're really tapping into this idea of, of kind of this, this awakening sexuality in young girls as they kind of start maturing and go through puberty, becoming women. Weirdly, as I was watching this film, like I kept going back to this other film that very much dealt with the same thing about kind of a a girls becoming, you know, moving through puberty to become women called the fits, which is absolutely not a horror film, but another very metaphorical film about kind of this this idea of coming of age and i found that to be an interesting aspect in this film that uh, i think was done pretty interestingly especially like i mean i guess kind of horrifically when you start when you first see these mermaids who you know are very virginal young girls who when they're adopted by this music group they introduce them to the club owner and they're naked but they are like barbie dolls you know they they have breasts but their crotches are like it's just like all seemed shut it it was really kind of like <laughs> almost more horrific to see it that, that was way probably the most horrific that was the most horrific <laughs> it was thing, like, yeah. it was so wrong and i'm like this is so strange yeah but i could understand why they did that because obviously the the fish element of the bottom half of a mermaid is where they ended up having kind of their their sex organs, but it also spoke of this idea of kind of a young girl growing and becoming a woman. And I was like, "There's there's a really interesting idea here." That it just struck me as I was watching it. Well, did, and did, did, yeah. yeah, and jump from that to the, and I'll, I'll jump forward to the
0: sort of the our, our, in the finale where we get to the the actual transformation where one of the girls decides, you know, I want to, I'm going to be a, a human girl. That metaphor plays out in in a bit of a gruesome way and in and i think it's you know the metaphorical part is oh my gosh one day i'm a young girl and the next day i am a sexual human and that plays out on the operating table when she they somehow they find a willing transplant of a young woman who wants to become a mermaid and they <laughs> it's i it's very confusing yeah, very confusing and they sever the tail the bottom half of her torso and they sever the bottom half of the torso of this human girl and they swap them and surgically give the mermaid girl uh legs and sex organs and the other girl gets a tail who knows if she'll be able to like use it or if she will transform into a uh you know a woman but she also the, our mermaid girl also loses her voice, which is, and and that is a, one of the clear nods to the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid, right? Because I believe that was a trade-off, or was that only in the Disney one where she loses her oh, voice? No, no, That was Hans that was Christian Andersen. I haven't read that in forever. Uh, yeah. um, and, and so, you know, it, it, growing up, becoming a sexualized human being comes at a cost, right? And we see it on this operating table that's, like, filled with ice, like at a fish market. So gross. Uh, it just it's fantastic and then she has to live with those consequences and i think that is a great payoff in a movie that you know is ostensibly or you know calls itself uh, sort of trucks in horror tropes that's a bit of a gruesome scenario that plays out so well for this coming of age story in the movie um that is is its primary metaphorical language
1: Uh, well yeah i i I think so too and that's there's a really interesting element to that whole uh idea of these two sisters how you know they I, I on the um making of they talk about how one sister represents the animal instinct kind of that awakening sexuality which you really see in golden throughout this film and silver represents all the emotions and that need for love and and that kind of that whole side of it where you need to have that person in your life and you need to please that person she's of course the one who does fall in love with me tech who, um, who is in love with this other woman suddenly at the end of the film that uh, kind of ends up turning her to seafoam. And we kind of go with that whole Hans Christian Andersen end of the actual story where the Little Mermaid ends up turning to seafoam and everything. Although, it's interesting because that story is so much... There's, there's more to the Little Mermaid story. It's kind of a much darker story uh, uh, but for the Little Mermaid because she, she you know the whole thing with the sea foam but i think she becomes a spirit of the air and actually ends up co- kind of going up into the air and and so she actually has a chance to get her soul back if she can do good deeds for mankind for 300 years <laughs> it's like it's it's such a like dark dark story that is in no way in any favor of the female character. It's, it really is just a very misanthropic view yeah. of kind of the male world of kind of wanting the female to be perfect is kind of really where it ends. And so to that end, I enjoy that, uh, you know, in this particular film, we have a much different view of that. And I think Agnieszka uh, our director kind of found a way to kind of flip that, all of that on its head and really take it from the, the woman's point of view. And we really get this this stronger story, I think, than the other uh, mythological version of kind of the the mermaid from uh, Hans Christian Andersen's tale. And uh, I like that.
0: It, th- there is this B metaphor story. I guess it's a little bit even more literal, that it's also a story of immigration, right? Of immigrants yeah. and the mermaids as uh, immigrant peoples who are disrespected used for you know in in this case for their uh, you know who they are on stage parading them out as in in sort of this nightclubs freak show um, or you know, sort of sex acts oddities of of nature but they are and and they say once in the movie do you want to stick around here or or you know before we swim on to America right this is yeah. this is their immigrant journey to America in the 80s and and they sort to get stuck here in their little exploration of of Poland
1: and how well does that story work for you I think that's actually a really uh, a fitting story also especially the idea well especially maybe well I'm sure it's always been happening but it seems like a much a very current idea of the idea of immigration and how immigrants are trying to find this quote better place somewhere else and and end up oftentimes getting uh wrapped into and then abused in the sex industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, for two characters who, you know, they're mermaids, they don't have the view of body shame as many other people do. So they're just used to walking around naked all the time because it's just like there's nothing. It's like a fish. A fish isn't wearing clothes. They're just, they're a fish. And so <laughs> they're just, they're just being mermaids. Uh, they, but for us, they just happen to be naked. And so that that ties them into this place where, they're used very much for their sexuality for these, these stage shows because, you know, it's, it, there's something weirdly, um, appealing about them, even though the way that their tails are designed, I'll just say, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a horrific. <laughs> View of the mermaid because there's nothing sensual about the bottom halves of them. They are like an eel. It's not like they're very slimy, long, almost weirdly masculine and erect is kind of weirdly what they end up looking like, which I think is kind of funny as another way to kind of subvert that whole view of them uh, as kind of these sexual beings. But I think that that idea of this immigrant story is really interesting, and especially because I mean it is in this alternate. 80s poland mm-hmm. you know which was very in 80s poland it was communist poland and the way that the society was more misogynistic i think is another thing that they're kind of bringing up here you know, as kind of part of that whole thing with these immigrants and the women
0: Th- there's a lot going on right and yeah, yeah. and the fact that it's said in the 80s it's said in the 80s for some purpose does that matter
1: that came from the the you know filmmaker smozinska and her her uh writer Robert Bolesto who were very like they grew up in that era and and they grew up in this world and the two uh singers who they had kind of writing all the music for this and and really kind of the whole story kind of was created because of this story of the um the two sisters uh, uh Barbara and Susanna Ronska I'm not exactly sure if I'm saying that right but they they were they You know, they grew up in this world, in this actual club where they're filming here, the Adria, uh, which is really interesting. And they all, as kids, remember it being such a colorful place because of the shows they were watching and everything. Like, they referenced a show called the Academia Panaclexa, and it was kind of a surreal kids program. Very colorful, magical, and a lot of adults who have seen this said, that's not what 80s Poland looked like. And so they purposefully said, well, it's it's what we remember from it as kids because, you know, for us it was colorful. But also it is kind of an alternate world that they're creating here. And I guess the reason that they're doing it is because of the way that that communist oppression was kind of pushing down on people in the 80s. And this kind of also was a way to kind of subvert that, to, to show this kind of like alternate way to kind of get through those things? Yeah, I I I feel like thinking about the 80s in
0: regard to this movie is overthinking their intention of the movie and i think you said it like this movie's color is because it was pulling through the eyes of children at the time who have no sense of what was actually going on who had no sense of what was actually going on at the time or limited sense or limited understanding right however i want to sort of um, you know catch that but that's what it felt like to me that that that, in and of itself, is enough to create a fantastical universe in which you know mermaids are able to come ashore and create a, a universe in which no one is terribly surprised that mermaids exist, right that That's the thing that that caught me. This entire experience, even the unveiling of the mermaids in the in the the dressing room, no one would seem surprised that mermaids exist. They seemed surprised that there were mermaids here but not that they exist there was never a question so this absolutely to me is an alternate universe that that is worth exploring on that level alone that they've created something in terms of world building that is interesting and and it all starts from them i guess luring the bandmates to the edge of the water in the very opening sequence
1: You can see where they're also drawing references from Homer's The Odyssey with the sirens and kind of that whole idea. And this is something I think is really clever for the movie. The idea of sirens and that siren song that these, these sirens, which are essentially mermaids, would sing out in the ocean to draw sailors to them and then they would eat the sailors. A very dark way of viewing kind of this mermaid lore that they really bring in here with the idea of these mermaids singing to draw men to them so that they can then eat them it's a, it's a really interesting element um that they include here to right. kind of give it i guess that's where the horror tone comes from right because i mean when they're mermaids and when they're even when they're angry like they're they're in insanely sharp mermaid teeth yeah. <laughs> appear and they they look like you don't want to mess with them and so that it's an interesting element that they they add i do question how does uh, Krisia, the the, I, I don't know, I I I look at the band and I just kind of keep in my head calling it mother, mom, dad, and son, even though my <laughs> sense is they're not actually any of them really related, but I just kind of think of them as kind of a family band, but anyway, crezia is the quote, mom of the band and then, and she sees that these mermaids are, are pulling the two men from the band into the water and she shrieks uh, almost like a banshee cry <laughs> That clearly stops everything from happening. And then somehow the next we see them, they've essentially adopted these mermaids into kind of the group. And so there's that's an element that I really didn't quite understand. Like, what was it that that stopped all of that? Was it, you know, did she have enough willpower to kind of flip the tables on them? I wasn't sure.
0: Yeah, a 100 percent question there. I was able to kind of let that go and I'm not usually able to let that kind of stuff go. Uh but the my headcanon says it's because the girls also found themselves wanting to come on land. Like they they maybe thought they wanted to dine on these fine people, but then they changed their minds and or maybe they wanted to
1: explore. Yeah.
0: There's also something charming.
1: They're they're you know what they are? What? They are the Quakers. Of of the mermaid stop. world, right? like this I is should, that period. I should just stop you. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, tell me more about the Quakers. They're on their journey to go, like step out of their of their shells, experience the world before they come back to, to their world. It's what's that TV show? The Quaker. The, oh, they're Amish. It, it's no, it's Amish. This is Rumspringa. Amish, yeah, the Amish. Amish, um, what was the TV show? Amish Paradise. I, I don't know, but it's, no, that was a Weird Al song. No, there's that TV show. No, the Amish, what is that TV show? Where it's uh, been in most odds. It's
0: the Amish, Breaking Amish. Amish Paradise.
1: Yes. But Breaking Amish was a, a reality show that followed. Um, the Amish, the, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That followed the Amish kids. I don't know why I got Quakers. Uh, I don't either. Um, and I think the Quakers, the Quakers would write if they had phones. <laughs> if they, if they actually listened. But.
0: This is their Rumspringer. It's Mermaid Rumspringer. That, I feel like if that doesn't get on a shirt, we're in trouble. A mermaid <laughs> with an Amish hat. It's Amish mermaid Rumspringer. Uh, I was going to say something else. Oh, it, it's it is a bit of a charming play right at the beginning of the movie where we have these mermaids who are trying to lure these guys to the edge of the water. And these guys are also playing music and essentially luring the mermaids out of the water. Right. It's a lure off. Yeah, this is a lure off. And the <laughs> mermaids lose in the beginning. The mermaids have better teeth. That's true. For, for it. But the, they actually lose. I think they kind of fall in love with the lure of land and want to explore. And I think that that's a charming yeah. setup for me. And
1: I, I, I like it. And I hadn't really thought about it, but it is in the title. And that's an interesting element that we're really watching this story of these, these two young girls that have been lured to a world that's really different from their own. A world and, you know, it's the whole idea of, again, the girl becoming the woman, the lure of a cigarette, the lure of their first drink. Of falling in love, of having sex for the first time, like all of that is right there in in the uh American title, which I think is pretty interesting, totally yeah. so I, I feel like we have to cross at
0: some point the bridge of the music you said you have some issues with it. this is a this is a movie musical you we can't like this is a horror movie musical, so you're watching this movie, don't be surprised when everybody breaks out in song and dance, they will absolutely do it. Sometimes it will be in the club and there will be a club scene and that feels very appropriate. And then they'll hop in shopping carts and they'll be at the mall doing an absolute bonafide movie musical number out of context with the rest of the narrative, singing about what it means to be in a city. There are a number of those in the movie and it sounds like you had some issues with them.
1: Oh, well, and just to clarify, they're not out of line with the rest of the movie in, in terms of a musical because i mean there are other musical numbers throughout the film it's like they happen yeah. it's just it's a thing i mean this is a musical it just happens to be there's the musical element where they are in the mall and singing around dancing and shopping carts and then there's the club musical element where they're just performing in clubs and yes. everything so you you get a lot of both of that there's a lot of music in this movie my issue with it I I in general I like the performances I like what they're singing and everything but I also find that it's very repetitive and I don't know if that was an intentional way to kind of create that lulling sense of a siren song but I felt like as, especially because you know as as a non-polish speaker reading the lyrics I was like, are they just repeating their their stanzas over and over and over again? Because it felt like I just read this and I just read it again. Like it just kept, like they're just singing the same lines over and over and over again. And, and I just like that, that for me was a little repetitive in the way that I generally kind of approach, you know, what I like in musicals and, and singing. It does have a little bit of that La La Land thing
0: going for it. But it's just kind of, a musical idea or theme that you hear several times, but I do think to that point it works. It, it works because the movie is already bananas. It's just bonkers. It's very eighties synth. It's eighties Euro synth, which has its own bit of identity. And I, I think you're, I think you're right. The ideas in the lyrics are super repetitive. I found the same thing but i found myself really fascinated by the experience of watching this kind of movie you can also i mean i think i think in in large part once more with feeling which was a buffy the vampire slayer episode that was a musical and i actually think buffy the vampire slayer did it better i think the music was better the music was much better and i like the idea of taking ostensibly a you know a tame horror property and making it something more frivolous like that i like these properties and i'm a sucker for musicals so i i think i'm already going into it with that bias i think to your point does the music soften the the horror part or the dark fantasy part or does the dark fantasy horror part lessen the value of the music i think that's a a right concern to have and that's why i think the sweet spot for this movie the audience for this movie is it might be pretty small you know, for people who really love both sides of it.
1: Uh, yeah. I, I well, I, I think that people are going to be drawn to this film because of the themes and and kind of the originality, because I think there's a lot of that yeah. in this film. I don't know if, if a horror fan is looking for just a straight up horror film. I don't know if they're going to be completely satisfied well because when you watch this movie for the first time did you know there it was a musical movie? Well yeah cuz I'd seen the trailer and the trailer emphasizes the singing and yeah. everything else that's going on. So I kind of had a sense from the trailer uh and probably if you listen to that satmat conversation cuz I feel like I was there. Yeah. It very much is about kind of that mashup of the horror kind of the fairy tales from Hans Christian Andersen this idea of you know music and that kind of 80s club feel. It's kind of a mix-up of all that sort of stuff, which I I, I definitely find appealing. And actually, I, I really enjoy the fact that it's blending all of that stuff together. I don't think it uh, works as well as a horror film because of that. I don't think the music... i, I Honestly, I think it's really just... I, I just don't think I connect with how the music was written. I think they could have found ways to kind of expand on the lyrics a little bit more. I think the music, the the, the way that the music, Sounds is fine, I just feel like the lyrics just get repetitive, but I do think that you 're right for some people they 're going to have a hard time because of that strange blend.
0: i think there 's so much opportunity that comes from this kind of a blend and and I think to, I, I think that 's the problem that I have with the music, and i, I think that 's what i 'm hearing you say too, but you know check me when I start lying it 's that They, they have this opportunity to move story forward through music if you're gonna do a musical. And the, the lyricist just didn't have it, right? Just didn't have a complete sense of how the music could be used to drive the story forward and as a result it ends up on the simple side of uh, of the uh, of structure and so i feel like for me to my taste this was a missed opportunity element of the movie even though i also like it
1: well and it sounded like something that was uh, even for the two women the sisters who were writing all the music the ronska sisters Mm -hmm. i'm not again i'm not sure how to say it they very much were musicians i mean they grew up in this club doing, you know, with performances their parents were performing, and they've essentially always been performing. This was their first time doing it for a film, and in the conversations on, in the behind-the-scenes, they talk about kind of the complexity of having to, you know, they're not just writing for an album. Now they're uh, they're writing for this story where everything has to tie together and connect in different ways. And And it sounds like as they were, uh, as Smuzinska and uh, her writer um, were putting this together, they actually started crafting it with the music, with the sound designer, and really kind of built the whole sound world of the film first to really kind of figure out the story and everything. And it sounds like perhaps in the process of that, uh, yeah, they just, the music got so funneled down into kind of the specifics of those moments that they just, they weren't able to kind of get past it to give us a little bit more. Yeah, they needed to write The wall. Right. They needed to write an early Decemberist album.
0: Right. They needed to write something that that had its own momentum, its own sort of
1: inertia to keep the story moving well, forward. geez, even The Little Mermaid. I yeah. mean, you know, any of those right. sorts of things. I mean, that's even the, that's Little the mermaid. idea of them. Duh. Yeah, that's, that's a whole, that's a musical, <laughs> it's right? A musical. It's, it's, it's We've done using it the songs. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's using the songs to advance the story. And as you said, the songs here just, but again, and like, this is the way I have to look at it. And I'm like, maybe this is what they were going for because that's what it felt like to me. It just is so repetitive that it becomes lulling like a siren song. It, and that's just in my head, I'm like that maybe that was the intention that they did with it. It just it just feels so repetitive that my brain just kind of like I all of a sudden am hypnotized by it because, um, you know, it's it's not moving the story forward, but it is generating kind of a tone for me. And so I maybe that's the intention.
0: OK, I get that. Uh, that may be one of those like I do where it's a bridge too far in
1: terms of headcanon. I you well, I'm totally headbang <laughs> I'm sure I am I'm sure I am All right All right <laughs> But that and then there's Triton okay. Triton in his Trit- music which yes. is uh, it's a different whole different Triton
0: thing Triton is
1: a uh, uh, a metal artist yes. um kind of like a yeah not quite death metal but very
0: very He heavy, had horns very... at one point uh one of them was ripped yeah. out uh the other one he ripped out himself Weird. He's got. A, he's a guy with issues.
1: Did you have? A, did you have any confusion or issues with the way he was set up and introduced in the story? I didn't. I was. I, I. I did. I don't think I did. Why? Well, because it. He randomly just appears. Like we'll we'll be having the story. There's drama between the sisters. I think the first time we see a shot of him, it's when I don't know something had happened between a gold and silver, and golden like walks out of the club and just like goes out into the alley. Or it might be when she first meets the cop, I think, but suddenly we just see a shot, just a quick shot of this shadowy male figure who's kind of just looking around menacing. And then he kind of disappears in the shadows. And I was like, okay, who is that like demon creature? It looked like somebody who had, as, as you find out later, he had had horns and they had been removed. And then it happens again later in the film. And then we finally, you know, see him at the bar. And you know they actually talk to him, and we learn that you know he's kind of he says like you're of my blood or something, and so I'm like oh so he was a merman, blah blah. blah. And then later you hear them call out that he's Triton. I'm like okay, well now all that makes sense. But it was just it was it was strange setup. It's like just these shots of him. Like had he was it just meant to say he's kind of watching them and seeing what they're up to? I, I wasn't really sure.
0: I didn't get that. I think, I guess I'm going to take a step back. I didn't have any confusion. I, I feel like I bought into it. It was confusing a little bit because my experience, my more recent experience with Triton is he's the king and they are the daughters of Triton, right? We've, that again yeah. is settled mermaid science for me. And so it took just a minute to think, oh, they're not directly related, but. He is another of their people, some sort of royalty with horns, I gathered. And I was okay letting that kind of wash over me, so to speak. And I mean, we need a character like that, right? We need a character to come in the, the sage wisdom character. We, we need the, the old wise character to come in and give them guidance and tell them something that they don't know already that will move them forward into the next complication. And, and we got that we got that with him he explained the seafoam bit and it
1: was all fine and she needs to eat somebody before dawn <laughs> well what's great about him is it's not just it's not just kind of that sage wisdom it's also just flat out honesty like when yes. when she comes and sings with uh with him at his club uh which first of all his the the part, person the woman that he's singing with seems completely upset about uh which i thought was kind of funny yeah she's not keen no not at all but then golden is all excited and he just looks at her and like you really need a lot of work and just walks off i was like (laughs) he has just gotta just say it like it is yes yes i find that delightful i thought that was really great so okay some of the stuff is I'm, i'm trying to get a sense of like the mermaid merman powers i guess we'll call them i mean we they they speak through telepathy. We see the two sisters kind of having like, you know, whale slash dolphin <laughs> squeak <song>. talk. yeah. <laughs> yeah, where they're kind of communicating with each other, which I thought was actually pretty interesting. I liked that. Yeah. But then there's also a moment when Silver, she sees Chrysia, uh you know, performing on Metech through the keyhole in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And it she seems very upset about this. And like the pipes rupture and start spraying water everywhere. And I was very confused about that. Is this some power that suddenly we're meant to feel that she has with water? Like, what was that all about? Or was it just kind of a metaphor of her being upset right there? I think it was a metaphor of her being upset right there.
0: So weird. I don't, I didn't think, I didn't think beyond it, but you're right that the timing is rough. Like, that's a that's a rough signal because it implies something
1: that is not implied or explained anywhere else. No, and it never happens again. It's just, right. it's the one time where I was like, okay, do they have power over water? It yeah. just, it threw me a little bit. That would be cool, though. That would be cool. Yeah. That would be All cool. Right. Speaking of
0: fantasy moments, uh, there was that moment where, it, where we go for a deep swim in the swimming, in the tub. Bathtub, right. Yeah, what you, I mean, I, I think the movie does these what I can only describe as it's a movie that sets me up to expect anything. We now have a mermaid musical horror film that is, that explores this sort of deep fantasy sort of psychedelic universe as he gets, he climbs over the bathtub and falls into
1: the deep ocean. And this speaks to the nature of musicals. And that's what I was saying. Like, I feel like there are other scenes that really feel like musical moments when you hop into a bathtub and all of a sudden it's like, you're in a giant, endless thing of water you know in all directions and and they have this magical moment together that felt very much like kind of a musical fantasy where it's just again it's just you know we're in the lyrics we're in the song as this moment happens where you know they're just fooling around in the bathtub it has moment like there's another moment where golden is walking around and she's very much pining for being like she's staring at that i don't know it looks like a flat screen screensaver in the bathroom of ocean images and then all of a sudden she's singing walking around and everybody is frozen and she's just kind of walking and singing that again which was really cool yeah very much very much kind of a musical type of moment that you would have same thing although i found it much more confusing after the they've dumped the girls um they quote killed them i wasn't sure what i was supposed to read in this whole thing but where the dad figure, um, I think he's just named Drummer in the Mm -hmm. credits, Um, he punches them both in the face. Apparently they're dead. They wrap them up in carpets and toss them into the river off the bridge. They're all upset. They come back to their house and it's like are they drugged? Are they dying? The song's, again, a musical sort of song talking about being poisoned. I'm like, okay, so are they poisoned? And then there's a woman walking around injecting them, like hooking them up to I don't know drugs of some sort is she supposed to be the representation of addiction like this this is where all of a sudden kind of those those musical songs I start losing me a little bit because I'm like I'm not sure what's happening am I just meant to think that they're all just so depressed now because they've killed the mermaid sisters that they're all shooting up and and passing out. I don't know.
0: Yeah, are, is it was that an experience of shooting out up, or or were they was it recovery, right? Like they had already come down and they were being like weaned off of whatever they they were experiencing. I was very confused by that. I that's a you're right. That's a sequence that that is a, a little bit baffling.
1: Well, and then because is is the woman who's walking around? Is she the one who Dad is with at the wedding? Like, all of a sudden, I started getting really confused as we kind of move into some of these elements later in the film, because we have to, you know, everything has to speed up to get us to this wedding. I I got very confused by some of these moments.
0: Well, it, there is this, this regret and grief that is explored in all of these sequences in a way that narratively is unclear, but emotionally I feel like is. I don't think they intended to kill the girls. I, I think that is a piece of regret. I think the, the, uh, Chrystia breastfeeding fantasy is, is a maternal regret. Like she had taken a real, uh, love to these girls and you can see that in the very beginning these are friends kids right she was trying to introduce them and make them her own uh and i think she was in in real grief and and i think that was that that's a really dark place for them um and so coming to terms with that grief is what this whole sequence is about and it it doesn't doesn't feel as well executed
1: yeah, it's, it's a little confusing trying to figure out exactly what the intention was with the story at this particular point. I, I wasn't sure, especially because then when they kind of, well, I, I guess I can understand if that's what we're meant to take out of it. Like they're coming out of this place of addiction that they had been and, and dad, again, I'm just keep calling him dad. I don't think he is, but yeah, um, he leaves. He packs up his bag and walks out. And I think that's kind of that whole thing that happens in, when you come out of these situations. You're like, I have to get myself out of this. And he leaves. And again, he sees, I swear he's with the same woman at the wedding. I I don't know. Um, yeah, you might be right. Yeah, but it, it's confusing. But it, it obviously, something happens that breaks them. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that when the girls do come back, um, they say, you know, hey, no harm, no foul. And then they bite dad's thumb off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like,
0: oh. There is this this sort of animalistic thing that's on display here. But also, you know, if we're going to stick to the coming of age metaphor, there is this this experience of youth having to sort of spit in the face of elders and in in order to sow their own. And in this case, here's here's the the lash out, right? This is the literally I'm I really am sorry you punched me in the face and thought you killed me and then dumped my body in the ocean. uh, And I'm going to bite your thumb off because I want you to know who really is in power. But also figuratively, you know, you were a parental figure. And here I I spit at the yeah, I, I, I bought that. I bought yeah. that. I'm glad it didn't go any farther than that. Like, had they gone in and just
1: massacred them, that would have been ill placed. In the sense of what we do get with with the two of them, it, it I guess it seems like, again, they didn't seem like it was a issue. They're like, hey, it's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to yeah. bite your thumb off. You know, it's almost yeah. like in that sense, it was almost like, you know, the Godfather type of punishment. It's like, no, it's fine. We're OK. We took your thumb. Yeah. And now we're fine. Yeah, One day I'll make you an offer. You
0: (laughs) can't refuse. (laughs) I'm going to ask you to hitchhike (laughs) and you
1: won't be able to do it. So, so then we have the end. Well, but before that, uh, we didn't really talk about this, this bit with this lesbian cop, which again, I think is an interesting element that uh, speaks to kind of golden and the idea of this animal instinct, this sexuality, this awakening, it was a very interesting sequence because she, and again, another fantasy dance bit, right? A fantasy right. kind of musical bit.
0: I do na mieście. I nie wiem.
1: don't know. Tłuką oszechy Zimnym powietrzem chłodzą goły łytki. Dziewcząt wracające ze szkoły. Wieatr
0: podwiewanerki marzną. Kto ogrzeje i przetłuuje Liście spadają jak ogłupiałe
1: kafroy Tłuką oszech. Cis outside in this kap. This um, wants to take her in because she pretty much has a you know pretty good reason to believe that gold that one of these mermaid girls likely uh, you know killed this person in the car. I mean, oh er- yes, the the death of the German. The, right, everything yeah. points to mermaid murder, and so uh, it's actually just murder, but it's M E R hyphen E the- R. E-R. <laughs> you see what you did there. Yeah. And let me just say for the record that the title track
0: of the track of the music track on the soundtrack is Biting the German to Death.
1: <laughs> so, fantastic. There the um so there ends up being this draw between Golden and this police officer and they they kind of start singing and dancing about all this this uh everything that had happened, but clearly they are drawn together. And to the point where this this cop is saying, I'm going to take you to Disneyland and, and the song and everything. And I love the little dance that she's doing with her little finger guns and everything. It was just it was a very 80s kind of like bit that was very comical. But it also leads to a bit in the bed where I, I found kind of compelling because she was not put off by the fishiness of her. She was licking the scales and it all seemed very OK. And I was like, OK, there's something interesting about this that was uh, obviously worth exploring. Although, I again, I wasn't really sure how it ended because then we see the cop kind of pull the gun on Golden again and then we kind of cut away and I'm like, okay, so are they getting together or is is Golden now eating the cop? Obviously the cop didn't shoot her. I, I wasn't quite sure where we go because we cut away, but, but I did find it to be kind of a compelling uh, again, another look at kind of exploration. Which takes us to the
0: I I guess I would throw in here that it sort of feels like time has passed in a in a strange way, right? Like it goes back to how long were they in their drugged state? Uh, How long did it take the girls to kind of recover? Because at some point in there, and if I'm to point out a structural issue that is not taste related, it did not take quite enough time for my tech to fall in love with somebody else. That
1: was very rushed. That was like, you know, all of a sudden it was like, who is this girl that like he just met? They fell in love. Now they're getting married. All of that was super fast. And I, I you know, I get it to a certain extent. We're obviously also, aside from dealing with the bodies, we're also waiting for Silver to recover from her surgery, right? So there's a, quite a bit of time that obviously happens as she's trying to heal from, yeah. uh, from the operation.
0: And clearly, in some sort of physical therapy, I mean, we see her in the wheelchair, and then she gets up on her treadmill, and, like, time has passed in order to get her there. Yeah. And we, it sounds pretty hand-wavy to say, don't worry about it. Yeah. But it is what I'm thinking about at this point in the movie.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that, that's why it feels like, like we move through the first bulk of the film, uh, almost like the first two and a half acts, really. I, it feels like the time works really efficiently and i'm I'm understanding the story by the time we get to everything after they've dumped the two girls into the river they go through their drug-induced bit silver decides she wants surgery and then the wedding like that stuff all happens so fast that i i feel like that they they really rushed it a little bit in the script to kind of get through all of that because yeah it's like where did this other woman come from especially because Metek doesn't seem like like, he seems like he's just kind of playing around with all the women that he meets. Like, he just seems not interested in settling. And so it it struck me strange that all of a sudden, oh, he's met this woman. Now they're getting married. Wow, now we're at the wedding. Like, it just all happened so fast.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. He also, I we never really got a sense for him in studio, right? He's like a session nightclub musician. And so... I never I, I saw him in the studio and thought, well, this is a change of context. So are they going to show us some new side of my tech that is going to lead us in some interesting places? And it didn't. And I'm sure in the broader scope of this musician's life, there are experiences in a bona fide studio and not just in a nightclub, but changing context for just that. I struggle with because it begged me to want to see more about his life and didn't end up giving me anything more than just this rushed new
1: relationship to a woman that he marries inside of three minutes. Right. It all just had to happen so we could get to the seafoam bit. I mean, that's really, yes, that's where the, the story felt like they just needed to hurry it along so that we could close out that whole seafoam um, storyline that they had created. And to that effect,
0: the CFO bit is pretty cool. It was so awesome. As an old softie like yourself,
1: you have to have fallen for that moment. Oh, I love She puts it. her head on the chest. Oh. Or she yeah, she's contemplating his neck. She's looking at it with her giant yeah. bangs out. She's ready to do it. <laughs> and then she just can't. And she looks at the sun and watches the sunrise with her true love. Yep. And and Beautiful, beautiful effects work here as as his body kind of turns from one side to the other, and we the camera kind of moves from his from looking over his right shoulder to his left, and we see that all he's got is just foam covering his whole front uh, that was just flawlessly executed it was it was beautiful it was haunting and heartbreaking because you know and obviously for golden too, who then you know goes into. Uh, fits and attacks and and rips his throat out. So it's uh,
0: awesome. It's awesome, and it gets it boils down to uh, a simple uh, uh, opportunity for Golden to exercise vengeance in a in this state of wildness that you know we know she's capable of because she bit the German to death, and she now gets to exercise it for the person who is most important to her, her sister Silver, and yeah, then yeah. she's gone she's right. back into the ocean on her way to america who knows
1: uh, maybe maybe that maybe she kind of grows up into madison this is her journey to go meet tom hanks yeah i it's, like to imagine she's uh, just a young madison
0: <laughs> god they should have showed more teeth and splash am i right <laughs> if there's hey, anything uh, they were missing <laughs> Uh, I, I really like that. I have to say you you made a nod to effects work. I would just like to add the open throat work after it's been ripped out with the slight bubble right in the middle. Yeah, uh, right. That made me think of the Jurassic Park cup of water on the dashboard. <laughs> like it's a perfect <laughs> ring of blood coming out of his, it, just pooling in his neck. That was a great bit of gore. Yeah. Just well, great.
1: And just the fact that we haven't even brought up the fact that these fishtails, like they look so good. Like They're it's amazing. insane. They're amazing. How good? hundred percent. Like, always. Like, when she, after she eats the German and she's, like, dragging her body across the sand to get back into the water, I mean, that was just, it was just so, so awesome. The way had they executed more. all of that. And yes. I mean, it was, like, massive, I, I don't know, I, I heard differing things between, like, 50 and 90 pounds of stuff that, and they had some pedals in there to kind of, that they could do to operate. So they were really trying to do. All of it. They did a few CG enhancements, but for the most part, it was like really there. So I mean, just I mean, it was just flawlessly executed. It was it was really great. Yeah.
0: A- any performances you want to highlight specifically?
1: Well, the two girls playing the uh, the mermaids, I thought both of them were great. That was uh, uh, Marta Mazurek and Mikałina Olsanska. I, I I hadn't seen either of them before, but um, I really just thought. I mean, they carried the idea of no shame in being naked like really well like they just never realized and i i was like really impressed with how they did that um yeah. and but then also king caprice who actually we um you know she was in in darkness which we talked about uh, a few years ago right in uh, our Agnieszka holland series um i just she has a face that is mesmerizing and and watching her, her saying
0: yeah oh. yeah
1: well and just all the different hairstyles that she had like she just always captured the attention you know she, she mm-hmm. is the sort of person that you would watch on stage i thought she was just
0: well great. and they all do their own singing let's yeah. just get that out of the way they sound great
1: they do their own singing on screen it's not like they're doing it yeah. after afterward in in right. the studio yeah right right yeah they of, sound terrific yeah
0: okay so this is a horror debut
1: right you talked about it as a horror debut yeah it is uh smozinska's debut film quite Quite a story to do. Uh, she had done been doing a lot of shorts uh, for quite a while. And then she ended up, after this, doing like The Field Guide to Evil, Fugue. She has a couple others that she's working on Silent Twins and Hotspot. But, and I didn't watch uh, any of her shorts. Um, they had a couple of them that were on the, uh, the, the disc but i just didn't get a chance to look at them have you
0: seen have you seen anything else that she's done
1: no i haven't just assured nothing i haven't seen the field guide to evil Uh, that was one of those um anthology films and which you know i always love i really love them i don't know why i just haven't i haven't uh, i I think that one just there came this influx of so many horror anthology films like with the vhs films and the abc evil whatever like there, there were so many that I just kind of started losing track of which ones were out there. So I don't think I even had heard of this one. I haven't heard of anything else that she's
0: done. Yeah, um, and I, I thought this was, in the words of the um, the Once a Future King, Steve Sarmento, I have to tell you, this was an enormously capable film, yeah. uh, competent film. There's a lot going on in this movie, and for us to have as few like critical points as we do uh, in this bonkers universe is a, a real testament to her as an,
1: an able director. Yeah. Especially because I think uh, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I think this is the first film in this particular series where the director wasn't also writing the script yeah. or at least co-writing the script. But I mean, it sounds like she was very involved. So with that, it sounds like when she and Robert bolesto, it sounds like they had worked together on the shorts and stuff. And so they already were familiar with each other. and. And, uh, and had kind of that working shorthand. And, but I also love this idea that, that he actually came up with this idea of kind of doing a story of these two sisters growing up in this club and that whole life. And they were like, well, one of them was like, yeah, sure. And the other's like, I don't know about that. And so he's like, so he came back to them a few months later and it's just like, what if they were mermaids? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody was like, "That's that's the way to do it." Nailed it! <laughs> yeah, and I just love that. That's you know, you always hear those sorts of jokes in the writers' room, right? Like, now, what if that character <laughs> was a duck? And you know, in, in this particular case, it's like that is what you needed to really kind of make a film that yeah. stands out. And so, I think uh, smozitska really found the way to connect to this story because also she also grew up in kind of this environment where you know she her her mom. Or her parents did run kind of a place like this and so, so she grew up in the same world and, and, uh, and speaks to that and so I think that there's a lot of connection that all of the people involved had to this world. Yeah well it's fascinating
0: uh, and and boy I'll tell you I, <laughs> I I liked it yeah. I like my experience with this movie and uh,
1: it's bonkers but it was worth it. Indeed, indeed. I, I'm right there with you uh, well, we will be right back. But first, our credits.
0: The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Ryan Pruitt, Orion Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at v-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. And for this one, he had some help from filmneweurope.com. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing
1: that for our show. All right, Andy, how did do it? award season? Uh, at the Polish Film Awards, uh, It you know, it did pretty well for itself, considering the genre mashup that it was. It, for the Discovery of the Year, Smoczynska won Best Director. Uh, Kinga Priest was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but she lost to Anna Dimna in, I don't know how you say this in Polish, I'll just say the English translation, Eccentrics. That is on the sunny side of the street. Wow. No, I mean, just try it. Just try it. Uh, well, hold on. Sound also was nominated, but lost to that same film. I don't know. That was a mess. <laughs> I don't know why great. I, why sounds I let you talk me into trying. Great. Eccentric, Do that but the again English translation later. also, eccentrics. That is on the sunny side of the street. <laughs> no, I don't know. If that doesn't means. Make it doesn't Either way, I struggle. Uh, the Polish Film Festival, uh, uh, Smozinska was nominated for uh, her debut feature film and won. It also won for Best Makeup and was nominated for Best Film, but lost to the film Body. It did debut at Sundance, where it received the special jury prize for World Cinema Dramatic, and they had this to say for its unique vision and design, this is for a film that really captured our imagination. So, very verbose uh, thoughts on the film. It was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize for World Cinema Dramatic, but lost to the film sandstorm at fantastic fest it won a special mention for fantastic spirit and at fantasia film festival it uh, won the cheval noir special jury prize for being a timeless cinematic fairy tale an instant cult classic and this is peculiar to me it was nominated for the best european slash north or south american feature uh, for the audience award but it lost to hunt for the wilder people (laughs) which i don't (laughs) think came from europe or north or south america <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Just check places. But, did
0: did europe or north or south america put a lot of money into wilder people that's,
1: maybe that's why i don't know how they that's crazy into that but yeah there you go all right
0: well uh, it seems like you might have had a little bit more luck with the numbers
1: this time around how'd you do at the box office Yeah, uh, Smuzinska had 1.38 million euros to work with, which is about 1.76 million dollars and 1.9 million in today's dollars. The movie premiered in Warsaw December 16th, 2014, before playing in Sundance January 2015. It had a lengthy festival run before finally opening in the U.S. February 1st, 2017, opposite A Dog's Purpose, Resident Evil The Final Chapter, and Gold. It never played on more than seven screens, though, and it only earned about $102,000 domestically and $7,000 Very small gross, which is about $117,000 in today's dollars. That was definitely a loss for the film at the box office, leaving it with an adjusted loss per finished minute of $19,400. That being said, it is a clear voice from a unique filmmaker and has already started building a new audience with its Criterion release. Uh, I'm so glad Criterion picked it up. It seems like the sort of cult film that they would want to jump on yeah. because there's a lot of a uh, lot of stuff to talk about, as we've just
0: shown. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting as you're writing this. We've got uh, Brian in the chat room. who said I liked it okay. It's bonkers. I would have liked even crazier, even more. I think even crazier, even more. Mm. More music, more mermaid hotness. Yeah, I can see that. I can I can see, I can see that. All right. I, however, thought it was just enough crazy. And it was fine, and we should come back around and,
1: and rank it at some point, don't you think? Yes, we should. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Saint Maud. Saint Maud, have you watched it? We
0: want to know what you thought. Send us your thoughts in a 30-second audio clip. Just use your voice memos app. It's uh, super easy. And, and then share it with us. You can send an email to reviews at truestory.fm. Uh, you know, 30 seconds. That's about right. If you can get your thoughts in a concise 30 seconds, a tight 30, as they say in the biz, we'll put it in the show. We want to hear what you think. Again, reviews at truestory.fm. Here's the trailer.
1: Dear God, your presence graces the air, and soon
0: everyone will see you. Hi, you Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying.
1: You're prettier than the last one.
0: But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh. It's like he's physically in me. Oh! <gasps> It's how he guides me.
1: My little savior.
0: Hey, I thought that was you. What are you up to? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? They know what happened. All the good girls go to Cause he even got her so. I just wanna see you loosen up. I've got more important things on my mind. say oh Maud he isn't real <laughs> nothing worthwhile comes easily don't say I didn't you must be the loneliest girl
1: I've ever seen
0: I'm ready and open. I feel fuller of your love than ever before. I have a responsibility.
1: Oh, yes, of course. This is life and
0: death on another level. What if I'm getting it all wrong? All the good girls go to hell. All right, Andy.
1: Letterboxd. How does this shake out for you at the S.T.A.R.S. office? At <laughs> the S.T.A.R.S. office? Well, you know me and S.T.A.R.S. Um, I I can be very... I know you talk about them like they're unlimited resource. Th- they pretty like much they're are. They're just an infinite I, resource. I like to give everything five stars. That's my new my <laughs> new motto is everything in fi- is five stars um, moving forward. <laughs> All fives with Andy Nelson. But I'm coloring. <laughs> I'm coloring my stars now. I have a whole new scheme. <laughs> oh, we're crying out loud. No, uh, but but you know, I have a I have a range of films that I generally really like. Um, and uh, you know, regarding regardless of how many stars they have, and I think for me, this ends up being a three and a half star film. I think there's some really creative work going on in here. Um, it's I'm giving it a heart because I genuinely enjoyed the film it has some story issues i think it could have been a little cleaner the music could have been a little more or less droning at times but i still like really am impressed with the world that mozinska and her team created here so three and a half with a heart
0: I feel like uh I, I have introduced in my life more uh, criticism of the actual structure and the transitions in the final act or into the final act that are are more troublesome than my uh, ultimate blindness to all things negative about this movie uh would indicate I came in with a heavy pro lure bias uh it, it's probably not as as strong a film as I'd really want it to be uh but but it's still satisfyingly bonkers I'm going to I am going to raise you three and a half to four stars, and I will also
1: give it a heart. Oh my, four stars and a heart, but get that heart in there quick before the girls eat it. Oh, that's true. That's true. Well, maybe we need extra hearts just so they can sate their appetites, and we can. Now there are hearts unlimited
0: behind. hearts in the world, Andy. Now yeah, there are right. unlimited hearts. That's right.
1: Uh, hey, uh, unrelated. What did you think of the original title, "Daughters of Dancing"? Or Surki Dancingu? Oh, I prefer the lure. <laughs> I
0: prefer the lure. The other
1: one sounds like a, a a
0: reality show, a knockoff reality show. It does, like it... daughters of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Yes, and now I can see. that. that. Somebody is just now already. Yeah.
0: It's already in the workshop. Okay. Holy cow! All God. right.
1: Well, what did you think about the lure? We want to know. Just hop into the show talk channel in our Discord server, where we will be talking about this movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd give a thandy as letterbox always doeth.
0: <laughs> these are these are good. These are good. I think this kind of movie is what Letterbox was made for. I don't think Matt Buchanan knew it <laughs> at the time, but the yeah. lure really helped.
1: It's uh, uh, it allows for some certainly some juicy comments for sure.
0: I can't wait to hear yours. I have no idea where you're going. I today I uh, locked the most popular review on Letterboxd for this movie. And it comes from Lucy May, who is a delightful uh, video editor uh, in her own right, and as she calls herself an accidental film critic, you can find her at Vimeo, uh, vimeo.com slash Lucy May. She, she gives this movie four stars and says, the two mermaids hissing and singing and chewing on human body parts, me with my camera out, you're doing amazing, sweeties! <laughs> I love mm. Lucy's reviews. They're all short and sweet, just like that, and uh, so she's good. a great follow on Letterboxd.
1: Oh, that's so good. Got? So I have <laughs> this. It is uh, by Lily. Um, not quite as popular, but uh, Lily gave it three and a half stars and said this: I'm "Gonna tell my kids that this was the Little Mermaid." <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just—I also just scrolled to the one that you were going to do, but it was too long. <laughs> From Leticia Fernandez oh, yep. with four stars.
1: <laughs> eat the men, eat, eat, eat the, the men, eat, eat the, the men, eat the men, eat
0: the men, eat the men. It goes forever. Yep. Why is that not the most popular review of this movie?
1: <laughs> so many funny reviews here. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Letterboxd.
0: I've been podcasting since 2006.